Welcome to Office Hours as part of the Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Dan Berlin, Dan the Coach, if you will, joined by my esteemed colleague, Mr. David Singh, feature writer for Sportsnet and co-collaborator for the Sport Journalism course here at Ryerson. And boy, do we have an amazing episode for you today. We are joined by a very special guest. Let me tell you a little bit about her. I'll bury the lead before I reveal her name. But she is a, I took this from, from your website, by the way, but she's, a, she's everything, actually. She's a writer, a public speaker, an award-winning sports activist uh, who focuses on Muslim women in sports. Um, she's all about inclusion and diversity. She's an athlete, an advocate, a community organizer, works with youth of color. She's a mother. You'll hear that in the background from time to time throughout our talk today. Please welcome Shereen Ahmed to the program. Shereen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I want to kind of begin because, as I mentioned, I, I riffed your your bio and your intro to to introduce you today. But on your website, on your homepage, SharinaMed.com, is the saying, the slogan, the mantra, if you will, out beyond ideas of sports and politics, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Tell us a little bit about this field. Well, that was actually um, a take on a saying that I thought to be of Rumi, Jalaluddin Rumi, who was a Persian poet and incredible and has inspired a lot. And he's associated with mysticism and Sufism. Turns out that's not an adequate translation of what he actually said, but which I think I can just still use and be like, I'm just meta about it anyway. So what it is, it's like a nod to, oh, wow, an Orientalist came and took over this. Okay, that's fine. But also me saying that, listen, there is a place to be political in your sports because sports are inherently political. And when I started in the industry, which is almost 10 years ago, the feeling about that was mixed and there was resistance. Not that this that bothered me at all. Like I didn't take it personally. Um, I didn't think of it that way. So the idea of there's a field where we can go and the metaphor is very much like sports field, a pitch or what have you, that we can talk about those things, that we can exchange ideas, that can be knowledge sharing. And I mean, I think that's one way and we're in a sports journalism class. So I love the idea of knowledge sharing because that's what I wish we had more of in this field. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a big part of you know, the joy that David and I have of having the chance to speak to you today and getting you to share your knowledge. You talk about, you know, working in the industry for 10 years where you have certainly pushed the boundaries and challenged the norms of sports writing as a credit to you and your strength and your courage. Tell us how you do this. And I guess as part of that, how have you dealt with ruffling some feathers along the way? I, I think Part of one of the reasons that this has been uh, less arduous than it would have been 20 years ago, because I like, I'm a lot older than people actually think I am. Like I, my eldest son is in third year university. So I, you know, people are like, oh, and first when I used to get online crit criticisms, people would be like, you don't know anything. You're like, just dumb out of J school. I'm like, first of all, I didn't actually go to J school. And this is my third career <laughs> like first being a full-time mom which is probably the most important thing I've ever done is and will ever be is being a mom but I worked frontline in social services for five years with refugee women and reunification projects and 
um, newcomers to Canada and I use sports very much as a means to help them, um, you know, sort of feel more comfortable. The words that they used were integrate and adapt. And I'm not a fan of either of those words in that context. So we use sports as a means to get people to connect with their community and their wider community. And that opened my eyes and probably changed the way that I think about sports in general and the way that I think about people. So after doing that, and a huge part of that piece was self-care. It was mandated. I worked at an organization called Woodgreen, um, Pape and Danforth area. And um, we really had to check in because the type of work we did, mental health checks. And I, who knew that that would come in handy for sports writing and sports journalism, but self-care and knowing how to practice it and be very intentional about it. And you do stories, particularly the beat that I have. I talk about like racism and misogyny in sports. Like who wants that beat, right? Like that, that I remember being on a plane and this lady goes, what do you do, dear? And I was traveling to Oregon some years ago. And I said, oh, I write about racism and sexism in sports. And she's like, why? And then the whole plane ride, I'm like, you know, having this existential crisis. I'm like, why, do I, why don't I just open a cat cafe? Why am I doing this? So, I mean, I think I just started. I started from a point of view and a perspective that was very personal. I started following, I was following a hijab ban by FIFA for a really long time, since 2007. And it affected me and my own personal experience. And so I'd been following that and saying, okay, there's gaps in the reporting. Like there, I have more questions. You know, when you read a piece and it's badly written and you both talk about this, I'm sure, and teach this, if you end up leaving the piece with unanswered questions where there's no connection within it, that's not a great piece. Much of the reporting I saw about Muslim women in sports was done this way. I had no lens um, beyond a very basic overview. I felt like the questions weren't answered. So I got into this very much because I was not happy with the way some parts of it were being done. And that's, I just am doing it the way and that I want it to be done and that ethically and professionally I meet the standards and, you know, particularly because of the nature of what I do, I have to be very careful to make sure everything's sourced and corroborated and all the, goes through legal about three times to make sure and all those pieces are there, right? But when you're hunting down things and you're asking questions um, and I'm curious by nature um, and I want if someone makes a decision, I believe in accountability and I believe in a proper answer. And if it's not good enough, then I report, not that it's not good enough, but I'll just be like, this was the answer. So having people with different questions is like, wait, why is that his answer that? That's not good enough. That's a good type of journalism. You want your readers to be engaged. You want people that are consuming your media to think and you want it to provoke discussion. But within that, there's a lot of questions because the industry is, in Canada, more than 90% white, able-bodied, cishet men. So there's a very particular lens that comes with that. And I don't think that, I'm very sure that doesn't do justice to everything in sports. You mentioned self-care. Uh, I want to get a sense of what the last six months have been like for you. Um, you know, as, as racialized people, there's been a little bit more of a, a platform for us and an acceptance of us the last six months. 
but then with that also comes exhaustion of you know having to explain things that you typically and I typically see it as simple explain things over and over and then there's also added vitriol that has kind of cropped up you know from uh, with this whole conversation of what's going on in the world so I just want to get a sense of what the last six months have been like for you well, the first part of the six months, I had no work. <laughs> so that was a different level of stress. My, uh, I don't live off of freelancing because you can't make ends meet off of freelancing alone. It's not, it's like not possible in this economy. Um, and so much of what I do is I share the research and the work that I do on Muslim women in sports. And I travel a lot to the United States and Europe. And I was supposed to go to Australia and the work that I do in football as well. All of that got canceled. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll be quite frank. I survived off SERP for a couple of months until things started rolling around again. And the murder of George Floyd ignited a lot, reignited, I should say, because it's not as if these conversations weren't happening because they've been happening since pre-Kaepernick, pre-Serena, pre-Abdul Mahmoud, Rauf, Rope Abdul Mahmoud before Kareem, like Bill Russell time, back, 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 Arthur Ashe, you know, Althea Gibson, Wyoming Atias, we're talking back, Jackie Robinson. We've like these discussions have been happening, but not in the wider mainstream media. So I think that the way the discussions are happening are more public. I also credit this not necessarily with a mind change of sports media, I think that access to social media has empowered journalists and athletes and athlete activists alike and people generally. And in terms of self-care for me, it was a lot of navigating through a pandemic with no roadmap, like what's gonna happen? I can't open a cat cafe, which was my plan B because you can't in a pandemic, like, what am I going to do? And I think after that, and what, like you said, David, after the conversations really started happening, you know, there was walk-offs in the NBA, there were, you know, there's huge frustrations from players, the WNBA have followed for a long time, and their discussions became louder and more bold. And I think they are truly the leaders of these type of discussions. Um, it became, I have to manage how much, cause it's exhausting and you, I don't have to tell you this, it, to talk about race constantly. And then it almost gets to a point where I have colleagues that email and say, listen, we don't want to talk over racialized folks, but we know we have to carry the load. And even within, I'm from a South Asian diaspora, even carrying the load against anti-blackness. Like my colleague at TSN, Kayla Gray, has shouldered so much of this. And Donovan Bennett, your, your colleague and who's been on the program, has as well. My friend Julian McKenzie, who's out of Montreal, same thing. Like, it's also quite sad that I can name black sports, can't, like, you know, sports broadcasters in Canada. That's a bit sad. I should be able to not know all of them on a first name basis. That's not the case. Like even the South Asian ones. I know them. We've made plans to go for chai after the pandemic. David, you're totally invited to that. You know that. <laughs> so like, it's, that's the reality of this industry. When I can name you every racialized sports person on a first name basis, that's, that's a bit cringy. So, but finding, even in that survival for me has been finding community within this industry. 
I, some of my closest friends are sports writers and, and, and sports journalists um, or athletes or activists within and advocates in this field. So um, watching a lot of Bend It Like Beckham, Schitt's Creek completely got me through many, many months. Um, now my kids and I are watching Cobra Kai and we love it. I, we started in the beginning film. So it depends what you do. Like I'm a soccer player and soccer has been shut down for me since March. My league has been effectively canceled. Um, and I don't have my first love, which is soccer. So how do I manage? So, I mean, I tried to run. It was like bad for everybody involved. Like I'm not a runner. It's just not great, mm -hmm. but you know, we got a table tennis. It's very unpopular to say you don't like running, but you know that shirt that Alex Vetchkin has that says running sucks. I actually want that shirt so bad because I think it's great. So, um, you know, and, you know, props to the runners. It's just not my jam. So um, I'm trying to find other things. I've been baking and then eating. And then I'm like, I'm going to become a muffin. I need to stop doing this and find something else to do. So I don't know, just, uh, I guess I'm finding other things um, like table tennis. We bought a table tennis table, me and the kids, and it's been really fun. So that's been pretty, pretty awesome. So I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out, it depends what I deal with. <laughs> to be yeah. honest. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fair observation. I mean, baseball is, is a sport I've played for last 30 summers. I wasn't able to play it this summer. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm normally involved with like three different leagues plus coaching my own son and that <laughs> was, was taken away. But uh, you know, it, it's all, you do have to channel it and it's interesting how baking emerged as the number one or at least consuming baked products I, <laughs> consuming. I i had to pivot quickly over to i actually i bike 20k a day that's been my salvation oh in, my goodness whole thing but as the winter months sort of approach i i actually just had the conversation with kareem my wife today just to go what's like i actually have to think of what's next so i, I think i'm going to invest in either some cross-country skis or some snowshoes but i'm with you like running is like it just doesn't agree with my body. It doesn't feel good. I, my knees, my knees. Hurt. So I love that you said snowshoes. You're the only other person. Cause when I suggested it, people thought I was ridiculous. Huh. I'm so like, if you're interested in a social distance snowshoe visit, I would be down for that because like, do you remember the snowshoes when we were little, the ones that were literally the old, yeah, they the look like lacrosse sticks that yeah. are flattened. I do. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the fiberglass fancy ones of this generation. I mean, like the old school ones. Like, oh, yeah. I'd be down for that. Like that. <laughs> well, if you go to Kijiji, you can find them all. The, <laughs> the new age fiberglass and the old, and the old school, the yeah, old, the old ones as well. So, uh, yeah. So I'll tell you what. We'll we'll, we'll definitely we'll do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, listen, it's it's good to have that. But you know, you talk a little bit, Shireen, about just how you travel in this advocacy that you do, this mission that you're on to inform and enlighten and educate. I'd like to, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, you know, at least, I mean, I'm sure we could dedicate an entire hour just to what your findings are, but what, what some of the key points are that I think would resonate with our audience, our students, as it relates to, you know, th those intersections of racism and misogyny in sport here in Canada. And how do we, how do we go about changing it? in your mind? I think one of the things that, and because I'm part of, you know, the media industry, I'm a card carrying member of the CAJ, all those things, card carrying, I'm very proud of it. Um, 
I think who tells the story is as important as what the story is. And I will always start and stop there. Um, I think that there's different ways to tell stories. And this doesn't only account for race. This, this accounts for the way that we talk about different communities, and particularly ones we're not a part of. I have a personal practice. I don't write about LGBTIQ, like 2S plus communities, if I can give that work to somebody in that industry, like in that community, sorry, who can have insight, who can access different sources, who has, it's also a practical thing, who can tell the story in a way that it wouldn't necessarily be done. I think there's a value to that. It adds to the conversation. It can, as I mentioned, share aspects of knowledge or pieces of information we wouldn't otherwise have. And I think that you know, this whole differences make us special or unique or something. There's something about creativity and there's something about being dynamic in, that we need in journalism. It needs to constantly happen. Same old, like for an industry that desperately wants to survive, it shocks me that it continues to stay so static in so many ways. Like we want to be dynamic. We want to be relevant, but are we? And sports is a really good way to have the conversations like that. And as far as what we need to do, I would probably say that we need to redefine who we think is a storyteller and a sports journalist. What does it even look like? Who, who is it? Like, it can be me. It can be David. It can be you. Like, you know, it can be any one of us. It can be, you know, all the people I mentioned before. It, it can be so many. And we have an idea that of what an authority figure is in this in this field like i won't write a lot i love a cfl i don't think that there's any need for more than three downs like i feel very strongly about this and get into fights with my american friends all the time i think three downs is fine um anymore is just extra uh but i don't write about the nfl because i don't know a lot about it and i'll stick to my wheelhouse and that's been successful for me um, and also when I'm not writing about Muslim women in sports, my love is soccer and global, local, whatever, but I'll try to stick to what I know because also having conversations about things we don't know is not great. Like trying to lead a discussion about something you have no experience or idea about is not great. If you want to do a mat, like a, you know, a game recap or match report or something that's different, but like to really try to delve into discussions as a pundit or commentator, I think it causes harm. And a language is a big part of that. Let's look at our language, our style guides. Have they been updated since the eighties? Let's be really honest about conversations around indigenous masketry and how terrible that is. You know, one thing that I've been doing, I've been putting out feelers to connect with an indigenous sports writer in this country. And I don't, I don't know of one single indigenous full-time sports writer in Canada. That's a problem. <laughs> so, I mean, if either of you know one, holler, I'd love to amplify and connect. But there's the thing, like, are we truly open? Like, do we see disabled sports writers? Do we see enough from different marginalized communities? And I don't think we do. And sports exists in every realm, in every community we can imagine. So why would we not have people from those places talking about it? I think it's you a mean, great, great yeah, point. No, David, I'll just make a comment. I'd love to yeah, hear sure. your question, but 
You know, um, I, I saw the commercial for it the other day, and you know, as far as both of you are concerned about uh, BIPOC and and the hiring of media and hiring, you know, Black, Indigenous, and people of color in these roles. Have you seen the commercial for this? The one from Bell Media. I believe it must. Yeah, yeah. I only caught the end of it. I mean, just curious what what your thoughts are about that. Do you think that's a step in the right direction? I don't think it's the answer, but what what do you think? Um, I was really excited to see it. I couldn't have imagined something like it. I think it was pretty to the point, but we're not just talking about broadcasters. For me, it's about editors, it's decision makers, it's hiring practices. That's like, I want to be in charge of all those things one day. Um, that's what I want because at first, you know, I was really happy with bylines. I love writing. I'm a scribe at heart and that's what I want to do. That's what I love doing. But there's a need and there will be a need for me to make place for somebody else to have that, to have this opportunity. And why I believe in mentoring as well. I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, but I think that the ad is great, but you're right. It's not a solution, but I think it is part of the step. Like there's, this is not a sprint, this is a marathon, but I do think there's actionable steps that can be taken in the interim. It's not like we're all gonna sit back and chill 20 years and wait for racism to disappear. This is gonna happen incrementally. Mm -hmm. That could be one of the, you know, one of the things that helps is having, I have so many journalist friends who tell me that adding one more BIPOC person to a newsroom completely changes things. I can't imagine the stress of being the only BIPOC in a newsroom. Mm -hmm. And David, I don't know if you can, but like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it sucks. It's yeah. exhausting. Like, what's oh, yeah. your self care practice, right? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've, I've, yeah, I mean, for it, for me, it dates back to university when I was in, I went to Ryerson uh, for journalism, and even back then, uh, in many of my classes, I was the only BIPOC, and in journalism, the program there was um, like four of us you can count on, on one hand out of like 130. And it's just something it, you know, you learn at a young age to kind of just get used to it. And it's not a great mentality. Uh, several of my places I've worked in my career also being the only one in the room. I mean, it's tough. It, it's, you have to, you have to have a thick skin and it's, um, you have to have a good circle. I what I always describe to people is you have to have a good circle of people who are willing and able to listen to you complain. Cause that's what I would do all the time is just go home and complain yeah. and people would be sick of me. Um, but you know, no, and, and this is something, it kind of leads into what I was going to ask too, because you know, we've talked about racism. Uh, a big part of what you do is also, you know, pushing against, uh, well, you know, you, your feminist podcast, right. Burn it all down. That's what you want to talk about. And then what I have, what question I have for you kind of relates to racism and feminism, but what does true allyship look like for you? Uh, we get this question a lot. We have, we've had it in class a couple of times and it's a question that comes up in me for my writing that I've done, you know, since George Floyd died is what allyship look like, looks like. So I'd like to get your perspective on that. First of all, burn it all down is like the love of my life. Um, I, I just, it came, it was born out of a place. It was born out of a DM group on Twitter of women just supporting each other. And David, you were just saying that people listen to me complain. That's called community. That's what community does. The first step is hearing, like what load can you carry for somebody else if they need it? Okay. And so that 
is wonderful that you had that at least because I can't imagine feeling so isolated of not even having that because there are people out there who actually don't have anybody. And I work remotely. I've always been a freelancer. Um, and that suits me. Like there are points where it's been lonely, but then burn it all down is three years and we meet regularly. Our Slack is nonstop or WhatsApp or Instagram DMs. Like it's incessant. It's five women talking all the time to each other with a lot of ideas, right? So it's great. We have a very similar vision and our podcast came from a place where we didn't see anybody with the lenses that we saw doing the work that we're doing. Um, we're not all sports journalists. Two of us are sports historians. So Dr. Amir Rose Davis is a is a, an assistant professor at Penn State and Dr. Brenda Elsie is a professor at Hofstra and they both have expertise in something very specific and you know Dr. Elsie Brenda's a latanista and Dr. Davis Amira is you know has an incredible knowledge on labor solidarity in black communities so like they bring this they bring this level of knowledge. And if I can share one thing with your class, it's that get yourself connected to sports sociologists and sports historians for your writing, because they really add a level of context that is so important and valuable. And that's the one advice when I get invited to Nash to speak to sports stu journalism students, the one thing, there's two pieces of advice. First, take all the free pens you can. You will always need the free pens. Take everything, all the free stuff, get all pens and the buttons and the notepads get definitely get the notepads but secondly align yourself well with sports both sociologists and uh sports historians i i've done that and it's worked wonders in terms of giving me letting me think beyond just one plane and they have the knowledge to do it so that's why I love Burn It All Down so much. And because they do really fun things, like they gifted me this recently, like my co-host, it's a Burn It All Down table tennis paddle. And they like feed into my um, obsession with Burn It All, um, with uh, sorry, Bend It Like Beckham and Law and Order. And they let me do kind of zany things if I want to. And, you know, essentially we have the same idea of what we need to do as responsible contributors to sports media. And, uh, you know, we're five different people. There's like 11 kids between the five of us and like three dogs and four cats. And it's, you know, relationships and partners and spouses and whatnot. And we make it work. It's been three years. So we're not stopping anytime soon. Um, you know, but what that is, that's been a gift. It's been a gift, truly an honor. I, I love the tips. And, you know, if we are doing shit with <laughs> Phil, I do want to share my notepad from Super Bowl 43, which is my pride and joy as well. So, yeah, you definitely want to grab those notepads. And I have like, a, I think I have a Nash notebook somewhere that I love it. And everywhere I go, like, you know, the new swag is they give you moleskin notebooks like the, like the, yeah, That's last nice. year. No, I don't, there's nothing now, no. but, uh, they used to give uh i just would tell the students i'm like just get all the free stuff you can yeah here it is so you know i it. mean there's no question just how resourceful you are when it comes to <laughs> snagging free stuff but yeah. i also know you're incredibly resourceful as a storyteller and coming up with story ideas and you know part of what this week's section is on what we were talking a little bit about with our students is this idea of stories without access. So even though you are mm -hmm. a card carrying member, 
you you know it's not always about getting to go to game seven and be able to experience that live of uh, or game five and see Seattle beat Las Vegas in the WNBA finals like whatever it is it, yeah. it might just be like you have to come up with an idea for a story so maybe you can share a little bit about your process and where your story ideas come from yeah, that's a really good point too, because as a freelancer, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to be in the press box. I did some work for the athletic, the soccer, and then I was able to get, you know, BMO access. And it's wonderful. It's an experience I really hope all sports journalists do, even if you're a feature writer or you do video or whatever. Um, podcasting, I think experiencing the press box is, it's awesome. Like it makes you feel like you're part of the team. You know, that it, for me, it was, it was awesome. And my only regret was that I was actually fasting because it was Ramadan. So we didn't get to hit up the buffet, which on the range from what I hear, BMO is pretty good. So that was like the only complaint. And free. free, Yeah. Like huge. Feed the journalists, people feed the journalists. They do, they do the Lord's work. So um, I think that part of coming up with stories is like, you want to be careful at the same time because, you know, like one of the questions I get from students is what about poaching? Okay. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't happen. Poaching happens all the time in this industry, scooping your stuff, you know, just don't get out there and tweet all your story ideas, get one of these free notebooks and write your ideas down. And when you're sitting there or you're driving, pull over if you're driving, if you're on the bus or whatever, write your idea down, write it in your phone in your notepad app on your phone there's ideas that you'll have that you might think people will dismiss, but there could be something in there. There could be something really valuable. There could be an idea that nobody else has. There could be a way that someone looked at something that nobody else did. And sports, again, I really truly feel, I don't like the expression sports unifies. I think sports connects. It can connect to you know, conversations about the environment, sustainability, it can talk about food, you can talk about culture, like what, like everything from what stadiums serve what kind of food as regional influences around them, like amazing stuff, you can talk about anything, like, you know, there, I remember there was a story I saw, I think it was a kid at UBC, um, I know this is Ryerson, so I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be like, but it was a really smart, smart story. It was about a pho restaurant in um, Vancouver that during the championship run last year created a dish for the Raptors. And like, that's amazing, right? Like, I just, I love stories like that. And they're fun stories. It doesn't always have to be sad and, you know, struggle. It can be, and you can find so much joy in sport. You can find so much goodness. You can find people helping each other. You can find a lot of terrible, terrible things in sports, but you can find joy. So find that. There's always some interesting fact. I did a profile for the West End Phoenix on a Canadian soccer player named Tiffany Cameron, who now plays for the Raggy Girls in Jamaica. And I found out an anecdote that her family's from Jamaica. Her great aunt came to visit her and talked her way through security because she needed to give her a mango. Not a box of mangoes. She brought her one mango. So I interviewed uh, Tiffany's mom for this piece and just got so many beautiful stories that just had me like, this would be great as something. This would be, you know, writing a feature is nice because you get to get into the details. But uh, there's, there's stories all over the place. Like, you know, that I think can connect people truly. So, you know, take a shot at it. 
take a stab at it. And I mean, I've had great story ideas that I self-published on what I started out as was was a blog. Cause you know, I would pitch, if you asked me in 2014, what I did, I would tell you, I wrote pitches and got rejected for a living. So. Yeah. I mean, you've been rejected, you know, in the past, but you've also, you're, resume of places that you freelance for is robust <laughs> and it's a, it's very very impressive I mean, sports illustrated tsn huffington post vice espnw just to name a few so say i'm a student who wants to write at one of those places right and i've got an idea like you mentioned uh, what would you advise them to be their next step how did you make those connections with editors at those big major outlets and how would you advise a student to kind of go about that very much huge part of this industry is access and it's networking. So I was very fortunate to have um, people looking out for me and make introductions. And I know that's not always possible, but if you have a mentor, which is why I truly believe in mentorship, because you create and curate like a rapport with somebody who has those uh, connections or has, can maybe say, Hey, I have this smart kid, or I have this young person, it's aspiring, you know, sports journalist. Do you think you can, you know, look at what they do and knowing that what they're capable of and what they can do and how hard they're going to work. Like, I'm not going to refer somebody who's not going to put in the work. This work is hard. You got to hustle. Like you got to work hard. I work 16 hour days. Like it's not easy. Um, but I like what I do and you know, that helps. So if you're a young journalist, I would say find that community. CAJ has mentoring programs. You can find them casually. Like I, um, through a program mentor, but I also mentor people casually, like just sort of like, Hey, I need help or reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask for help for stuff. There's so many people, like I talk about goodness. There are so many good people in this industry also that'll be willing to give you a hand just to ask. Um, you'll miss 100% of the shots you do not take. You know, like, You've heard that before. Um, um, and like sometimes it'll be Danny Green, you know, in the last couple of seconds. Sometimes it'll be quiet. So just take it, right? Try. And um, the other thing I would suggest is like make sure your pitch is, is tight. But I remember one, I really had a story that nobody else had. And it was writing about hijab bands with FIBA hadn't been published anywhere in North America and, and Europe. Um, and I kept sending pitches and I kept sending to an editor advice. They had a really, really, really robust sports vertical at one point. Unfortunately, it's been really, really cut down, but it was like really a good place and to write for. And they would take story ideas that weren't the conventional story ideas, which was right up my alley. And, um, Tomas Rios was the editor. And I remember I sent this guy like three emails. He wouldn't, like, I didn't even get an email reply. And that's the worst when you don't even get a reply and you like work on your email and you send, tighten your pitch. And so then what I did was I sent him an, like an updated um, version, but I changed the subject title to like naked vampire basketball. And so he read my email and he wrote me back. He's like, you have my attention. Okay, fine, write this. And the story clearly was not on that. It was on hijab bans and why that was still happening and why it was a thing. But I needed his attention. And, you know, I guess it wasn't the 
necessarily wouldn't work with everybody, but he had a sense of humor and it was fine. But you, you're competing with so many people and you want to make it so that you have something or you can give them something, right? And something extra or something that not everybody can offer. And so the tough part is you have to figure out how to get them to see it because you know your idea is good, but you need someone else to like know that it's good too and, and take, take a chance on you. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of not know, like knowing that it's not you, that's a problem. Like you're bright, you have a lot to give, I, but I'm not going to be condescending and be like, Oh, if you just work hard, you'll make it. This is a lot about who, you know, put yourself out there, try to connect with people on Twitter, interact. Um, Twitter is about, you know, exchanging ideas and it's about that's a really nice way to put twitter actually exchange of ideas no it's about um you know how you you work and get to meet and look and consume what other people are doing you follow them i read a lot i you know amplify other people's stuff because i think that's i'm not competitive that way like me amplifying somebody else's writing isn't going to affect me like people are very ungenerous sometimes that really pisses me off. Like we can share, we can, there's enough room at the table and getting over the idea that there's only enough spots for a certain amount of people. There's, there's a whole world and we can all, you know, share each other's stuff and we can grow from each other. Um, so do that. Like in practical tips, if you share an author you like or a mentor you like, share their stuff and tag them in your post of their story get a quote out of the story that really hit you and lead with that. That's what I do. And I still do it. I love reading other people's work because there's some people out there and their writing is gorgeous. David, your writing's beautiful. Like, you know, like, and it's okay to tell him that it's not going to ruin me by telling David, I love his writing or, you know, well, a good friend of mine is Himal Javeri. She writes for, for the win on hockey. I love him all. I think she's smart and I think she's brave and, you know, it's hard hard sometimes and Meg Linehan at the athletic who does her women's soccer she's the only full-time women's soccer writer in the entire United States we don't have one in Canada don't even get me started on Canada but it's okay um get to know who the editors are the editors are usually the ones with the least amount of followers the most important people have the least amount of followers the decision makers trust me I'm verified with like 24,000 followers it doesn't matter I'm not a decision maker like find people like Dan (laughs) It's important. I have 800 followers. <laughs> maybe maybe 7.99. <laughs> but like, find them, reach out to them, talk to them, find a pl- and check for places that you might not think will take sports. Everyone's talking about sports now. Like Vogue is writing stories on Naomi Osaka. Pitch them. Why not? They have like outdoor magazine, this kind of magazine, that kind of magazine. Like nothing's off limits. Not nothing's off limits. Well, and you know what I, I like about that too? And, you know, I, I think it really just comes to perseverance and, and a willingness to be courageous and put yourself out there, understanding that there are certain vulnerabilities that we all have <laughs> as journalists and knowing that people are judging our work or any feelings of rejection. I never use the R word. I feel like whenever a fit is meant to be, it finds you, you find it, and it works. But it it's not like it's just waiting for you outside your door just tied up in a ribbon. You have to go look for it. But Shereen, one thing I'll just add on, because I even think for students, when we always talk about this, you know, it is who you know, and it very much is. But I just want to add to that, because 
you know, in my, in my line of work, be it teaching and or professional coaching, networking is everything. We know this. Mm -hmm. We know that it's about connection. You've mentioned that in so many aspects of work. It's how we choose to connect with people and through these connections. But what I can tell students and something just to think of is it's not who you've already met necessarily. You don't have to know these people now. You have to be willing to go out and meet people mm -hmm. and get to know them. Mm -hmm. So it's not who you know, well, I don't know anybody, so I guess I'm finished. No, no, no. It's take the opportunity to put yourself out there, introduce yourself to people, try to make connections with people and get to know them. And, you know, I mean, Dave and, and my story, much like ours now is Shireen, you know, um, you know, how you get to know people and build trust and build, you know, a relationship that you can are like, hey, this is this is great. And it's win-win. It's you know, I, I was a huge, I thought Dave's writing was beautiful too. And I let him know it. And I invited him to come to my class to share. There you go. There, that's, I think that's the key thing. It's not, I got into this industry completely from scratch. I didn't know anybody. I knew that I wanted to be like Dave Zirin as a writer who was like my mentor and very good friend now, and be a little bold. Follow people, ask them questions on Twitter, they'll engage with you. Engagement is so much of it. And Twitter is a tool, it is definitely a tool. I know Instagram, but I really believe for sports journalists, Twitter is really where like you get your information quickly and you can connect quickly and you, you know, there's a lot of sliding into DMs for professional reasons and that's totally fine. Like but also go out there and, and be bold and in, in, in how you and, and polite and, you know, obviously professional, but go out there and don't be afraid to engage. You have to, like, I knew nobody, nobody handed me anything. You have to go out there and just be like, Hey, I also really like people. So it's, I'm not a, like, I'm not a painful introvert. So, and I understand there's struggles with that too, but consider it part of your job to connect with people. Like you can't, live alone in a corner of a newsroom and have you like and be impactful like do you want to be impactful do you want to leave like a legacy do you want to excite people about the profession do you want to fall in love with it over and over and over again if you don't then i don't know i guess do financial writing i don't know <laughs> like, this is it's about this you want to meet people do you want to be inspired do you want to write really tough stories that hurt you, that stay with you, that you can't sleep over, you know, like that are gnawing at you? Do you want to do justice to what you're talking about? Do you want to make your community and your friends proud? Do you want to be able to make your teachers proud? You know, it's like all these things. You know, we, I mean, beautifully put. And while we have a few minutes left, you know, I guess it's, it's a beautiful segue into, into kind of the question of what's next. You know, because we're we're starting to see some some change take grip. I mean, even you know, the commercial, the Bell Media spot. I mean, again, you know, from my background, even the thought of such a commercial when I entered into the business twenty years ago. I mean, the thought of that it would have been like you wouldn't even it wasn't even possible to conceive. And now we're going from conception stage to seeing it over the air. So with all of this change happening and the potential for meaningful change, how do you see it happening? How do you see it going? Well, in a way, I envy your students because you're getting to the industry at a time where these conversations are already happening. 
and in a way where they have you and they have Dave as, you know, mentors and educators, they're not fighting on whether sports and politics can be intertwined. They're already, we're already past that. We are so past that. And I still remember when Colin Kaepernick took a knee still, I mean, there'll always be different ways of people framing things. It's not what I'm talking about, but even the discussions, there was still a very tight crew of people. And I believe it was the ringer. The, this, um, uh, the lead writer was like, Oh, Colin Kaepernick has made it so that, you know, sports writing has become political. And I'm like, hold up, buddy. For some of us, it's always been political. Like this isn't a brand new thing. So your students are already there. Like they don't have to wade through those waters, uh, muddy waters, murky waters, but what's next for the industry? I hope we keep having the discussions, but beyond discussions, I'm a bit tired of discussions to be honest. Like so much like the HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance breaking off from the NHL. I believe in independent media. I think that there's some things that mainstream media is still not willing to do. I think there's some conversations that they don't want to have. There's some still language that they're reluctant to change and implement. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for shenanigans. So if I can do like burn it all down is completely independent media. We did it ourselves. We build it up. You know, um, you can do that. There's places you can do that. Like democracy now has sports featured on there regularly there's fashion magazines doing it now you can weave the conversation the way you need to um and and i think that's that's beautiful and it's wonderful so the conversations that you want to have and there'll always be three beat writers at a leafs practice there'll always be space for that that'll always be there i'm not talking about taking away because everyone's like well what about the traditional model fine the traditional model's fine for who it benefits it doesn't benefit everybody and still we can have those pieces the analytics a lot of analytics people i know are like we don't want to stick we don't want to talk about politics because they're like they're data nerds they love what they do and they can do that but that doesn't mean that nobody else can so if you want to do data analysis and only do stats analysis fine you do that you don't have to talk about what you don't want to it's also not forcing people to have conversations they're just unwilling to have i don't think that's helpful either I think there's plenty of people out there that are bold and brave enough to do it and smart enough. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, I don't like performative change. I think it's unnecessary. Um, and it's, things are very telling generally within the industry. We know who stands where on what issue. And, you know, it's, it's pretty, it can be pretty clear. <laughs> um, so I just, I hope that, more women racialized folks come to sports writing and sports journalism and sports media. I hope we see photographers. I hope we see videographers. I hope we see editors. I hope we see one thing that hurts me the most is when I talk to young women who tell me they don't think there's a place for them and they've been already shunned out of their university papers. That hurts a lot to hear. I'm like, there is a place for you. You belong here. Don't let anyone ever tell you, you don't belong here. And you know, imagine being 21 and feeling like you haven't even started and feeling like you don't belong. And, you know, if you have that power and you're involved, look around you and see, are you offering opportunity? And student journalism is fantastic, particularly in this country. And this is where I can be like Ryerson, in my opinion, not just because I'm RTA grad um, student or graduate student, but because I feel like the stuff that comes out of Ryerson is, you know, 
amazing. But look around you and who who's writing the stories and what are the lenses and be accountable and be responsible. So, you know, that's what's next. And for me, I like, I don't know. I have no idea. So, I mean, we'll see. I have some ideas about what I want to do. I'm working on a book and that's still something I feel like I really want to do because the type of idea that I have hasn't been done yet. Um, I want to get way better at table tennis. Maybe bike five kilometers a day. I'd be happy. Um, and professionally, I think uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I've thought a lot about it over the last six months and I'd eventually like to teach one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's one not, day not, not bad i can tell you firsthand it's uh it's pretty rewarding pretty gratifying so to wrap it up there are no shenanigans for this soccer hooligan over here okay <laughs> in a nutshell shereen thank you so much for this i mean uh just so much incredible information and insight so i appreciate you should taking the time to share that with us today thank you for having me it's like you know props to you guys and for having the, these conversations and bringing, you know, such a smorgasbord of different people in and it adds, you know, and I can't wait to see your students out there one day. <laughs> totally. And they'll, they'll, well, you know, they'll come looking for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you've had mentors and we all know it's about paying it forward and back. So I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's the beauty of it too. So listen, thank you on behalf of my esteemed colleague, David, I'm Dan Berlin, the coach for Sport Talks. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.